Welcome back to Drugs and Stuff with Dave Crossland. I'm Scott McNally. All of our program is brought to us by our generous sponsor, True Nutrition. Check them out. Use our code THINK to help support the show and get some uh, good savings on some high-quality third-party tested supplements. Guys, if you enjoy watching two grown men pick on each other, uh, argue and fight, then definitely subscribe to this program because you'll be able to come back and see us do that week after week. Uh, hit the like button and uh, leave us a comment. Tell us uh, tell us your thoughts on the topics we share today. David, things look a little bit different today. <laughs> oh, my God. How I long has it taken us to get to here? <laughs> only 20 minutes. Only 20 minutes. Let's hope that this actually stays. This this actually stays. Oh wow! Here's one benefit. If if we go wide screen like this, look at that. We can post our comments below us. It doesn't cover us up. Versus before, I'd have to have it like that. You know, that's kind of clever. I like okay. that. That's not bad. Right. That's Don't not bad. start trying to make out that this debacle of a show yeah. is actually meant to be like this. Here's the thing. This is your plan. I, I had wanted to try widescreen, but I didn't. I wanted it to be under my own terms, not because we couldn't get the software to work. <laughs> Regardless, um, today we're going to tackle a bunch of Q&A. We have uh, all the questions that you guys commented with on the previous episode. Uh, we, we got some good feedback, Dave, about our episode uh, with Rick Collins. People got some uh, some good insight. It actually led to one follow-up question about UK steroid law. So we'll cover that today along with everything else. Um, I highly suggest everybody goes back and checks that episode out if they didn't see it. And Rick would be great to have back in the future. Like if we could think of some other topics that, that, uh, we could get the two of you to elaborate on together. That would be fun. Yeah. Um, he's mentioned doing something else together, but, uh, I don't know. We'll see what comes of it. I, uh, I guess he was in a bunch of movies. Uh, he was in Bigger, Stronger, Faster, wasn't he? No, 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 but he was also, he was like, he, there he was himself, but he was in a movie called The Toxic Avenger. Oh, you still don't realize who you're dealing with, do See me as I am! What? How was he in that? Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then he did the pilot for Sopranos, didn't he? Yes, um, yes. So he's these guys been around, man. We could uh we could ride those famous coattails, you know, to to our own success and glory. By the way, guys, my screen is over here today. Uh this is uh a complete goat fuck, as you would call it. Our we're lucky to be even on and we appreciate you guys watching. A complete what? I'm not going to repeat myself. Have you never heard that term? So, <laughs> no, I, I generally. So, look, we're not discussing your hobbies here. <laughs> we're discussing steroids. Lots of gear yes. talk. So, so keep your goat fuckery to one side. All right. I have one. This is from one of our regular listeners, Chris. I think he's from over there, wherever you live on the other side of the ocean. Over there. It's like over there, somewhere. In that general area on the other side of the ocean, could be Germany, could be Switzerland, could be the UK, all the same thing, right? Kidding. Okay. Here's his question. It's about neck training. 
He says, uh, look at that. I can even put it up there bigger like this is. Actually, I'm seeing some benefits to this, Dave. Plus, we can see your whole sign, your crosslands.org.uk sign. Okay. Hey, Scott and Dave uh, and Christmas Cabbage. Could you please uh, talk about neck training in the upcoming episode? I'm a grappler, mostly Brazilian jiu-jitsu and some submission wrestling. And I need more neck strength, but not necessarily size since I already suffer from sleep apnea and need my CPAP to sleep. What exercises would you recommend? What rep scheme would I work in? And how many weekly sets? Also, what kind of periodization? Mm -hmm. Have you ever seen that four-way neck machine at uh, the powerhouse hat? Or yeah. excuse me, the, the uh, hammer yeah. strength has? You yeah, I mean, um, the old, I remember the old leather head strap as well that used to hang the plate off. Yeah. I feel like the only people you see using those are like 90, and they usually have a towel around their neck for their whole workout, and they're wearing the same gym clothes that they bought in like 82. For real. Just describe yourself there, Scott. <laughs> oh, Dave. I, I, I think you're going to struggle to, 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 to improve neck strength without having some carry off of an increase in neck size. Yeah, I could see that a stronger muscle is generally a bigger muscle. Uh, but potentially. Potentially. Static hold type stuff may give you some increase in strength without too much of a carryover into 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 size. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, who was this guy? Jeff King. You ever hear of Jeff King? Yeah, yeah. He was a very famous bodybuilder. I'm gonna grab a picture of him here. Uh, I can throw it up on the screen. Jeff King had the craziest neck that you'll ever see check this out like that doesn't even look like it's really his neck does it no that looks floaty shopped it's not it's not like i could bring up a bunch of pictures of his neck like this the dude had a legitimately like his neck is like a it's like an aged oak tree <laughs> what sort of description is that have you ever seen oak trees are very large trees? They're very dense wood. Like I couldn't imagine cutting his head off. That's all I got to say. It looks like a bad kid's droid. <laughs> <laughs> like he didn't get the proportions right. Yeah, that's uh, that was go, go back to the question. Okay, Chris's question. Yeah. I, so probably the simplest bit of kit you can get, Chris, is the old leather head harness. Uh, and it's basically a harness that goes over your head and links to some chains in which you then attach a plate. Yep. Uh, and you can wear it so it drapes forward and do that movement, or you can put it on sideways and do, obviously, side bends and stuff like that. Um, if you want to go really basic, then you could do some bending using bands. But I think that any form of repetition work is potentially going to increase your neck mass. I, don't, I think that's quite unavoidable to an extent. Yeah. Uh, but possibly static hold work might mm. still give you some benefit without overly increasing mass. I could see that. What about this? What about, what about, okay, so training your traps, I feel like that's going to help neck density. 
And I feel like mm-hmm. by the, when I've deadlifted the most, that's when my traps have grown the most. I get people who ask me, like, how do you grow your traps? And I'd say you can train them. They're obviously directly. But just through deadlifting, I feel like traps grow through heavy deadlifts. And I wonder how you would do with deadlifting to improve your neck, yet also improving your traps, improving your back, improving your posterior chain and building your strength as a whole versus just fixing that one link. I don't know, just Mm -hmm. a thought. Yeah, no, I mean, definitely that would help without, I mean, the whole posterior chain is, is thinking about it going to be coming in very very useful i mean I, I, don't, I don't know why he specifically has a problem with his neck unless it's just an inherently weak muscle yeah got one more picture of jeff king here that we'll throw up so yeah look at all those different angles of jeff's neck that's a lot of neck going on there that is a lot of neck that uh, looks like some sort of dinosaur human yes we got some nice comments here um Gents, hello, and Christmas cabbage. Oh, we also have a question, too, so we'll definitely take that. Uh, and we were told that the wide angle works, so that's a bonus. Okay. Um, this is our neck training question. Here's one. Okay. Looks like he's starting a first cycle, possibly. Let me read this one. He says, for the next episode, he says, I've been on TRT for just, a year just one second mr mcnally the boss is speaking oh what is the she aqua, aqua website aqua hyphen uk. that's it what's that, website? what's that website for dave none of your business mr mcnally well maybe i'll just type it in and figure it out for myself all right oh, all these noises and stuff listen Guys, we did warn no. you. We did warn you. It's not me. So don't be getting arsy with me. It's probably your end. What is? That beep sound? Yeah. Okay. All right. On to the questions. I've been on TRT for so. a year. Five weeks ago, increased the dose for my first cycle at 200 milligrams per week with every other day injections and 15 milligrams of sublingual Anivar pre-workout, 20 milligrams the first week, uh, and the pump was too much. They're five milligram tablets. My T level is 2,410 nanograms per deciliter. Uh, Free test is 948. E2 is 94. SHBG is 10.4. I would like to know where I should take my levels for the best cost to benefit instead of measuring it in doses. Thanks. So he doesn't want to go by milligrams. He wants to go by blood levels. What do you think about that? Well, it's not going to be cost effective. It's going to cost him a fucking fortune in blood testing. Well, once he gets there, can't he just stay there? Well, he won't be, will he? Because his level is going to alter depending on his injection frequency. Mm. So that's, say that, say he's done a single shot of, uh, so he's doing EOD injections. Okay. Mm-hmm. So actually it will be fairly stable then. Um, I have no data on 
blood levels in relation to progress at all. And to be honest, I don't think that's the deciding factor. The deciding factor is going to be his training. What do you mean? Followed by his diet. Well, the best cost benefit for the gear, I mean, at the moment he's 2.5. So let me, so he's running about 100 N more, which should be high enough if that's consistent for, for a decent progression on the first cycle. I don't think he needs to run any more based on that blood value. Hmm. Um, the, um, so I wouldn't increase it. I'd just leave it as it is, but it just strikes to me that someone's trying to reinvent the wheel and make it far more complex than it needs to be. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Um, the problem is that that, that blood result is good for the vial he's currently using. Well, not only that, but you and know, then it, when he starts a new vial, I'll have to retest again. And when he starts another new vial, I'll have to retest again. Not only that, but uh, just just the, just the fact of like, you're right. You would have to do a lot of a lot of lab testing. Uh, generally, this would be considered a low cycle: 200 milligrams of test per week with 15 yeah, milligrams I mean, of, D, of Anivar. Like the Anivar, uh, it may give you a better pump, but you're not going to grow from that. It's not going to happen. 15 milligrams of Anivar. You are not going to see, it's not going to have been worth taking the time and investment into this, the result that you will get. If we. I mean. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I would normally say 200 mig is a bit, bit on the weak side and I would push it a bit higher. But judging his blood levels, if they're consistent at that, if he's, if he's hitting what's the equivalent of 100 and more consistently throughout the week and he's staying at around that level then that is definitely enough to see some progression yeah the test would be but it i don't i don't see it translating i just don't i know just from all my experience 200 milligrams of test does not yield incredible results what do you think like just, just from that alone like I not just, looking at the labs yeah, but looking at the lab, no, I mean, if you'd have said to me, right, 200 mega a week, I'd say that's a bit on the low side. I'd run it a little bit higher. Yeah. Um, but having said that, if you look at his labs, his labs look good. Yeah, yeah, I agree um, with that. And, you know, seeing levels of 100 mol or thereabouts, I'm going to speak English. I'm not going to speak American. You can fuck off. Um, but seeing levels of a hundred and more or thereabouts it is typical of a lot of where people sit there you know i mean I've, I've seen 500 be producing levels around that so i find it strange that it is so high if it's consistent we have the problem is we have one blood test so even though his dosing protocol is consistent, it doesn't necessarily mean it's staying at that level consistently. You'd need to do a couple to double check. Um, but um, it just seems a very complex way of doing it. Uh, yeah. In regards to what's best for cost benefit, fuck me, that's like asking how long, a you know, is it going to snow in Christmas? I don't fucking know. Um, and I don't mean that in a, in a disrespectful way. It's just that 
what's your training like? What's your diet like? And most people will answer that, oh, my training's great, my diet's great. But that's your perception of what you're doing. That doesn't necessarily mean that is correct. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the, it is that your results are not based just on your drug cycle. Your results are based on are you progressively eating? Are you progressively training? Um, and and if, if your diet and training is very good, then, then I can see you yielding some nice results off, off those blood levels. Uh, if those blood levels remain constant. Uh, and that's the bit because um, that does seem high for a EOD dose of what would effectively be Hang on. So that's uh, so. What you're talking? You're talking about sixty milligrams, aren't you? Um, a shot. He said fifty. I think he said. Oh, uh, he said it's it's two hundred every other day. So I think he's doing fifty every other day. He said two hundred per week. Yeah. Which would be sixty-six milligrams. EOD. Okay. I'm going to, I was going to guess that he was just rounding it to, you know, but maybe he is, he is getting, he is getting very specific uh, but, with his blood level. So maybe he is. But the, the point is, you know, 50 milligrams, 60 milligrams, whatever that singular dose is, that doesn't normally see your levels at that, that level. That seems high for his yeah. dosage. Yeah. All, all I know is I, I, I think that you, you said what I was thinking early on, Dave, and that is, you know, don't reinvent the wheel here. You know, mm. is your, your, you know, there's a lot of things you can experiment with within bodybuilding. I would say that there have been a lot of people who have had a lot of great success with bodybuilding. And instead of trying to do things a brand new way, uh, you would be much better off to listen to the people who have come before you and have done this for decades and decades and have, you know, 50 years that we have 50 years of experience with this stuff now. Plus, uh, I mean, there's nothing wrong with working off blood measurements. It's just, it, it seems quite convoluted. Um, and generally speaking, if you've got a fairly reliable source, just work off your drug dosing. I, I don't, I don't see the benefit, I suppose, is, is where I'm at with that. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying, too, is that it, it, it would I'm become missed. more complicated, more expensive um, when you can determine, you know, well, this is this is where I'm at because this is how many milligrams I'm using. That's generally the way it's done. And and then you could put a lot more focus into other areas of your program and, you know, invest that, the money that you'd spend on labs into high quality foods, you know, and invest in your training. The other problem here is that the, the, the evidence that is available, the, the anecdotal evidence, the experience, you know, the experience evidence that's available has always been done based on dosing, not on blood. So you haven't got anything to compare to. That's what I, yeah. And that's what I was kind of saying too. I agree. So, you know, you can't, you can't say, well, my, my test levels are 2,400. So is this a good cycle? Should be. But, you know, I don't know what other dosings have related in other people. And the thing is, everybody's metabolism of the drug is slightly different. So another person taking 200 milligrams may not achieve the same blood 
levels. They might be slightly lower. Sure. Um, so you're asking for information on a way of measuring how to take your gear that isn't commonly done. So there's no comparative data. So it's very difficult to answer any questions based around that. Yeah. From what you're saying and from what I've seen in blood work, your test levels are high enough to elicit some decent response if your training uh, and diet are on point. But in experience, 200 milligram per week does generally appear to be a little bit on the low side for most people to get results. But the other issue is then what do you quantify as good results? Hmm. For some people, five, six pound gain out of a 12-week cycle, they would feel is very good results. For others, they're looking for more. So, you know, there's so many variables in what you're trying to quantify. It's very difficult to, to sort of give an answer. I mean, if we if I look at the milligram dosing, I would say I'd run a little bit higher. Yeah. Looking at the blood value, if that is consistent, I'd say you're there or thereabouts. But I, I wouldn't be opposed to it being that being a little bit higher as well. Uh, as to regards to what's the best way to take your levels for the best cost and benefit, well, that's just like saying to someone, what's the best cycle to take? Well, it isn't that simple because it isn't about just the drugs. You know, the higher levels are, effectively, the more results you'll get, but it's a diminishing return and there's so many other factors that play into this. So so it isn't that simple. It, it, it isn't a case of X amount of drugs equal X amount of results or X amount of blood values equal X amount of results. True. And that will change too. Even if you were to nail yeah. it down and say, okay, when I have my blood levels here, I do very well. I grow a lot. That over time, I can say in my personal experience, I've become, I would say, somewhat desensitized to androgens in the same amount that I started with is not nearly as effective as, you know, what I need to but, use in the future, you know. But at the same time, your muscle mass has increased. So your level of androgens to increase that muscle mass further. And, and this is very much like horsepower in a car. Yeah. You can get a quick car at 500 horsepower, but when you want to push those speeds even higher, particularly in acceleration, the horsepower you then need increases massively. True, true. So the difference between a 10-second car and an 8-second car in horsepower is phenomenal. Even though it's only two seconds, which really is not a huge amount of time, but in terms of acceleration and the amount of horsepower to generate that power, the, the difference is phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, progression through dosing isn't linear. Yes. You know, yeah. you know, 250 to 500, yes, you're going to see a substantial increase. 500 to 1,000, yeah, you're still, but, you know, 1,000 to 2,000, are you going to see the same increase? No. 2,000 to 4,000, are you going to see the same increase? No, because you other factors start to play into this, like stress factors and toxicity. Okay, well, let's move on because we do have several more questions, including one from our good friend Laser, who, just like you, Dave, has been banned from uh, Facebook. I'm not banned from Facebook. You were banned from Facebook in the past. Yeah. Just um, like he was. Because you guys couldn't follow the rules. Remember that? He's not listening to me. I am reading the question. I'm just ignoring you. He says, hello, professional gentlemen, gentlemen and Fuddy, the vicious and loyal guardian. Uh, what is the aromatization of test no ester like? 
is it more or less aggressive compared to test SIP or test E? Um, not relevant because it is out of your system so quickly. Any impact on how much long esters during the same cycle will aromatize? Cheers to Fuddy, the real mascot of druggies. I'm about to bake a cheesecake today because of Crossland's hierarchy of anabolic uh, of anabolics. <laughs> Quoted without permission. So, a noester testosterone will present itself as the whole dose being viable for conversion. Okay. So, no, right, let's, so let's, let's sort of, when you inject the hormone, the hormone enters the bloodstream uh, and it, it, it basically, so it goes into the muscle, then it leaches, uh, leaches probably the best way of describing it, it soaks into the bloodstream and then it travels around the body. Um, when it's in the bloodstream, it will attach to androgen receptors, it will attach to albumin, it will attach to proteins, SHBG, uh, 5AR, and aromatase. <clears throat> when you use a slow acting ester, generally your dosing is higher. And obviously the release of that hormone into its free state is regulated, so it's controlled. Um, when you in inject a free test base, there is no control of the release of that, that hormone because it is all free at its initial point. What the comparative dosing is, I don't know. So is, is 50 milligrams of, of test base equivalent to 200 milligrams of test length in the amount of hormone that's free at that point? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but obviously, as a free hormone, its half-life is relatively short, so it soon dies off and it soon goes on its way. So the amount of aromatization is, is very much tied into the dosing. If you took a lot of free test, then yes, you would get a high level of aromatization, but you would probably find that difficult to do. It's generally quite painful to inject, definitely at any high dose. I've seen the, the, the ester, the, the no ester oil based, I've seen that not that painful. And it is a little mm -hmm. bit slower, so not talking suspension with that, but I've done 100 milligrams a day in the past of that. Yeah, but it, it's trying to work. So the, the, the problem is that your 100 milligrams that you injected at 9 a.m. is going to be virtually fuck all by 12 p.m. Maybe not with no ester because uh, the oil does slow it down. But I, yeah. By how much so? Yeah, but I would say, I would say, you know, I'm going to guess. I can tell you this much. So get this. This, this actually blew my mind. I, uh, I went in to the doctor, this was like really early on into cycling, and I was running test no ester at the end of a cycle. So I had cleared everything. I was getting ready to do a PCT and I was like, oh, I'll run test no ester, okay? That way I'll stop that and then I can start my PCT the next day. Well, my doctor called me in to do lab work and they wanted to test my testosterone and my doctor didn't know that I was using gear. So I stopped the test no ester like, two days before the blood draw and my testosterone was through the roof still. Yeah. But when did you stop the slow ester? It was like two weeks before that. Like it was cleared. It was gone. 
So I that blew well, my what, mind. What dose? What dose was a slow ester? Uh, I can't remember, but but back then I was doing like no more than six hundred milligrams a week. Well, that wouldn't have been cleared in two weeks. In two weeks? Way. Yeah, no. yeah, that would be clear. Ten point five half that half life. You're talking ten point five days to three hundred mg. Another ten point five days, which is three weeks, and you're at one hundred and fifty mg. Two weeks is generally plenty of time. Uh, it, honestly, it doesn't. You okay. look at bloods of anybody that goes cycle straight into TRT. Yeah. And you measure those bloods six weeks later. You'll still and see you'll it. You'll find their levels are still very, very high. Okay. Well, maybe that had something to do with it. And and I don't know how long the half life is of test no ester, but I do believe it would be somewhat longer. Hours? I I feel like it would have to be longer than that. Isn't that suspension? Yes, yeah, so I think suspension is for four hours. So my bro logic tells me it would be at least six to eight. That's a guess. That's a total just BS guess. Like I made that up right now. I mean, my understanding is the only difference with the oil is that the oil holds it in the muscle a little bit longer. Yeah, so it would take longer to spread. So it becomes more, it, it's more of a depot. So it takes longer for it to filter through into the bloodstream, where with the water, it's pretty much muscle into the bloodstream and off. Had you ever used uh, the, the water version? Yeah. I never have. Was that that what that really hurt? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Like how, how much yeah. had you used? Like how would you dose that? Um, well, I've always been particularly sensitive anyway, so I ran it, uh, I was running it at like 25 mg shot. Oh, okay. Because I couldn't run anymore. I mean, even prop, I can't run prop at, at, at high doses. So Once a day? Uh, but prop, I, I can run it. No, no, no. It's just the, I have to. The, the, oh, the, the suspension. Suspension. Yeah, I use it as pre-workout. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, but it, I just found it too painful to, to live with. But then I, I've always had problems with testing that sense anyway. So uh, I wasn't, I'm not particularly a good example of, of using um, uh, suspension. I feel like it would dump to a lot of estrogen. Because like if you had a big flood of testosterone hitting your blood all at once, I feel like there would yeah, be Yeah, but a... generally the dosing is lower. This is the difference. This is the trade-off, oh. you see. So... so We've got to remember as well that when test hits the bloodstream, it will attach to a receptor, it will dump its message, then it will release and move on. Okay. So every time it becomes free, there is a risk of aromatase attaching to it and converting to estrogen. Okay. And once it's hit by either 5-AR or aromatase, it doesn't, that's it, it's done. It's no longer testosterone. Okay. But if it's hit by SHBG or albumin, one of the proteins or a receptor, it will then re-release into the bloodstream and still be testosterone. So, oh, and it yeah. will continue doing that until it dies off. Okay. So the, the issue is that even with, you know, I would suspect that in reality, slow esters probably create more aromatization. One, because of the volume buildup. Yeah. Because you're going to get an overall dosing much higher because of the half-life and the carryover between injections. Yeah. And as a result, the longevity of the hormone in your system gives it more opportunity to be caught by aromatase and converted. Whereas the no ester, once it, it's there, it's there and it's pretty much done very, very rapidly. So it's availability for conversion is much lower. 
Hmm. And in general, your doses will be much lower. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, the doses you, you would look, be lower. So you're not yeah, going to have as much so buildup. Yeah, that makes total sense. You're not, you're not going to have as much available hormone flowing around. Yeah. But, I mean, the, the downside of that is you are getting a, a, a very, you know, peak and trophy hormone line. I found where it worked well for me was as a pre-workout um, in conjunction with a cycle. So you're running whatever it is test in equipoise and then you take uh, 50 milligrams or whatever 100 milligrams pre-workout I actually had a blend that was uh, 75 milligrams T &E, 25 milligrams D-ball that was a nice little pre-workout blend I liked that no yeah. it's good oil based oil based what else do we have here Dave I don't know. You just we're, we're just all over the place today. Are we? We're just answering questions. We're these are the questions all our people wanted to hear. All the cabbage heads. Okay. We didn't have a topic basically. Uh, that's what it came down to. I didn't have time. Well, we missed questions. We missed questions last week as well because of Rick. So, um, so it was a case of trying to catch up with last week's questions and this week's questions, and so throwing a pot together job. Yes. All right. How about this one? Hi, Dave and Scott. Question for Dave. How much gear can I legally have for personal use in the UK? As when I'm doing a pre-contest cycle, I'll have a fair amount uh, to last for a while on prep. Many thanks, boys. There is no guideline. There is no guideline of any shape or form on what quantifies personal against what quantifies supply it is down to someone like myself or the police equivalent of deciding whether they feel that the amount would support an investigation for supply and, and bear in mind that there's more to supply than a large quantity of gear so if all you've got is a lot of vials and there's no evidence of sale there's no financial abnormalities there's not a mobile phone with with suggestive tech message on there's 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 no price lists anywhere or anything of that nature then that becomes a very difficult case to prove that that individual is engaged in supply because they've got product but they've got no supply that makes sense uh but at the same time getting caught with 500 vials of test and then saying, oh, it's all for personal use. You know, I mean, there's not a fucking, yeah, they're dumb. They're not that fucking dumb. There's not a judge in the world who's going to swallow that bullshit. Yeah. What would you um, say is like the most so, amount you've seen that has been passed off as personal I, use? I've seen, this is the, the strangeness of it. I, I, I've seen very, relatively very low amounts be prosecuted. Uh, they've not always resulted in a conviction as well at the end of mm. the day. Uh, and I've seen very high amounts being abandoned because of the lack of supporting evidence. I, I know of one case, it was a professional bodybuilder, um, and they got boxes. Okay. Oh, of, yeah, yeah. I think you mentioned this guy. Um, and the police were umming and ahhing about whether to do the case and they asked me my opinion. I said, from a point of view of amount of product, there, there's a very strong argument that this is a case of supply. 
Mm-hmm. So the problem you've got is you've got no other evidence supporting supply. You've also got a professional bodybuilder who may well have purchased at a level of his season's worth of drugs. This particular bodybuilder was planning on doing five pro shows. Okay. Um, he was sponsored by the brand that he was caught with. I said, so, you know, his, if I was defending the case, my first argument would be, this is a professional bodybuilder that uses very large amounts of these drugs. He's, it's, his supplier doesn't send him the eight vials he needs. They just send him a bunch of the vials he needs because end of the day, it's peanuts to them. You know, the cost to them is three pound a vial. They're not really interested. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so that, I said, that will be my defense. I said, and you're going to struggle in any court to get a conviction just on that quantity when you take into account the circumstances. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, the big advantage there was he's a professional. And, and they were like, well, can you tell me how much gear a professional uses? I said, no. He said, why not? I said, because one, most of them don't very, aren't very open about it. But I said, it could be two gram. I said, it could be five gram. I said, it could be seven or eight. I said, the issue is there's a wide range. Yeah. Um, I said, and, you know, in general, the, the big boys do use more, but there's some that don't because they've got very superior genetics. I said, but you just can't put a, and it's not about whether someone's guilty or not. It's about what you can prove. Yeah. Now, the only legislation that could be potentially used, I've never seen it used, and I'm not sure if you'd be able to make it stand in a court of law. We have a, a piece of legislation in the UK called the Medicines Act. Um, now, the Medicine Act allows an individual to go overseas and purchase medications that are prescription drugs in this country for self-administration. Hmm. And there's a, I can't remember the financial value, but there is a financial value attached to how much in value of drugs they can bring back into the country for personal medication. Okay. And it's not huge. I mean, it's three, four hundred pounds sort of range, so it's not massive. So... The only bit of legislation that could be potentially twisted and bastardized into a, a, a steroid argument, because at the end of the day, testosterone in this country is used as a medicine professionally. Yeah. You know, it's not used for any other reason. So um, you could potentially argue that, but I think you'd struggle to make a case out of that as a prosecutor. Yeah. Um, so the unfortunate thing is that when it comes to amount of, of compound, there is no hard and fast rule, and it's not always down to volume. And I'll give you an example. So, guy A, you already did give us an talking. example. You gave us the example no, of that other guy. Just shut up. Guy A gets his front door kicked down. He's got forty vials of test. He's got thirty vials of Decker. You could argue there's potential for supply out of that quantity of drug. It's not a huge amount, but you could argue it's potential for supply, but he could also argue it's personal. Guy B gets his front door kicked down. He's got two Decker, three MPP, three Test E, two Test C, two Test uh, Prop, two Test Base, and he's got basically every ester of every compound, but he's only got a couple of each. The argument against the second guy being supply is much stronger. I could see that, yeah. 
because you give me a cycle that uses test E, test C, test prop, all at the same, it's very difficult to argue any sensible use of those compounds. Yeah. And what it looks like is someone who's selling who's low on stock. Yeah, I could see that. So it's not just amount, it's also variety. Um, and often in cases, I have to look at what element of the drugs are personal and what element are not. Uh, so, you know, very often some people who, who sell use uh, and you'll find when you look at them, you'll find boxes of what was to be sold and then you'll find boxes of what was personal. And it's quite obvious which is which because they're part used, they're put somewhere differently, they've got needles with them and things like that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, unfortunately there is no set guidelines, so it's not a case of keep it under 30 vials and you'll be fine. All right. Uh, okay. Thanks, guys. Great info in this episode he's commenting on the last show uh for the next week uh estrogen another estrogen question estrogen is supposed to be kept as high as possible just shy of threshold that would give side effects is this really the case or do you two still like to keep it in a certain range no matter if the athlete is to have sides even at higher concentrations uh, also, please specify the units, um, PMOL or PGML, often get confused. I am not a big one for unnecessarily suppressing estrogen if you are not having problems. But I do feel there is a point. So in PMOL, I would take action against levels that were 200 or more, irrespective of the individual having issues or not, unless there was some specific reason why they didn't need to. What's the uh, range on PMOL? I think top end's 146. Okay, just to give us an idea then. Yeah, so if I remember rightly, I think top end's 146. So... I'm a great believer in see where they are, see what the person's experiencing, and make an informed decision based on those two. Um, if someone's sitting top end of range and they feel good and there's no issues, I see no reason to change it. Yeah. If someone's a bit higher, again, I see no reason. But when someone starts getting around the 200 mark and above, then I would bring it down irrespective of whether they were displaying symptoms or not. Just one to keep it in some sort of level of management and two to not because even if you don't suffer with estrogen side effects doesn't mean that high estrogen can't trigger other hormone changes within the body like prolactin and stuff like that sure as well as possibly depending on your goal if your goal was fat loss uh, I'd be more likely to do more to control estrogen in a situation like that. Yeah. I, I gather he was talking sure. about growing but you know an off season but just throw that out there no, I mean, that's a very valid point as well. Yeah, obviously, you would look estrogen being a little bit on the lower side if you're looking to lose fat. And the other thing you've got to be very conscious is that if if you let estrogen balloon and then drop it sharp, you will trigger a prolactin spike. Mm, okay. Because your hormones will react like you're pregnant, which is what happens to pregnancy. Estrogen skyrockets and then drops back down and prolactin boots up behind it. No kidding. So, so. Some you see people that panic when they see their estrogen levels high, yeah. even though they're not suffering any size, and then slam it with anti-ease, 
And then all of a sudden they're wondering why they've got libido issues and they've got other issues, and it's because the prolactin's kicked up because they've slammed. So with, with any of this hormone management, it is management. It, it's not it's not destroying it. You know, it, it is. And, and you will always get better responses, responses if you're subtle about how you manage things. When you start trying to lose a sledge, sledgehammer, then you start having problems. All right. Let's see what else we got here. Oh, you know what else? This is kind of cool, Dave. With this extra space, we could like make like a little, a little logo there that just sits there on the show like this. You could just you could just stay right yeah. there. Um. All right. We got a couple more. Look at that. That's very professional looking. Okay. He says, uh, this guy actually messaged me on DM and I suggested he went over here to YouTube to, uh, to post the question. That way we would remember to tackle it. And I encourage everybody else, please, uh, DMing me the questions does, it's hard for me to get those on. Uh, so as this guy did go to YouTube, post them there and we'd be happy to tackle him on the next show. He says, Hey Scott, I've got an interesting question for you for the podcast. I don't know if you've heard uh, of the sleepless elite. It's where 5% of the world's population suffer from a genetic mutation where we sleep only three to four hours a night our entire lives. It's not by choice. Uh, it's by circumstances. Um, how would one manage food intake in this case when we're awake all the time? I suppose it would be a good question for Dr. Scott Stevenson or for Sir Christmas Cabbage. What does he say, Dave? What does he say? He says, don't eat cabbage. Oh, huh? that's a start. Huh. Um, <clears throat> you, I suppose you get the, the, the I mean, I, I, I'm not a complete believer in the calorie in, calorie out, because there's so many different factors that can, can alter that, you know, type of food you eat, stress levels, all that sort of stuff. But effectively, if you're going to be awake for a longer period of time, then your calorie burn is going to be elevated for a longer period of time. So effectively, you should be able to build in extra meals to accommodate that. Yeah. To, to some extent. But I mean, really, your food intake is going to be based on one, your goal, what you're trying to achieve. Are you trying to gain or are you trying to lose? And two, how much of the calories that you consume are you expending during your waking hours? Um, if you're only sleeping three, four nights, three, four hours a night because of an energetic, a, a genetic anomaly, and, that, and that's all you do, I'm assuming that that means that you function perfectly normal on those four hours a night, and there's no detriment to you living like that. Yeah, Dusty's like that. Dusty um, Hanshaw. He only sleeps a few hours a night, and I mean, he's managed to get to 300 pounds, so it's not like he needed more sleep to recover that he was missing or something. But I, I do, th I do think that um, it's just a case of spacing your your calorie intake is not going to be any different to anybody else. It's going to be based on your calorie expenditure and your goal you're trying to achieve. So your maintenance will be higher because you're active for a longer period of time. Uh, but the, that that's that's it. So you know if you're if you're awake for twenty hours of the day. I'd, you'd eat 
you'd eat your meals accordingly within that time period spaced out to what suits your lifestyle and, and what you're doing. And if unfortunately it means you're hungry for a little bit part of the day, then that's just how it is. Otherwise you, you'll gain excess weight you don't want. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. I found uh, working with people who are up for a long time, people who say work, you know, 12, 14 hours and they have stuff to do and that they, they get little sleep. The guys who are getting six or less hours of sleep, they do have to stretch those windows out further between their feedings for sure. And it can be, it can be a struggle sometimes. Yeah. Um, I mean, it just boils down to that basic calories in calories out sort of formula, doesn't it? Yeah. He's with us, by the way, he says, hello. Hello, Christopher. Are my questions no longer, they're not popping in and out either, Dave. I like when the questions fly in. Oh, well. Um, well, you broke everything. I know. We're lucky to have gotten this thing together, period. Um, oh. Well, well, together might be a bit of a stretch. <laughs> Matt has a, 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 a really nice comment here. He says, update. I've literally just now got approved. This He asked us about getting a prescription for growth hormone. He said he can afford it. Um, he did take metformin to to uh, to try to fudge the levels a little bit. Who knows? They might have prescribed it to him anyway. They usually always do, you know. So my understanding over there is they're quite happy to prescribe stuff like that quite liberally as long as you're willing to pay for it. Yes. Um, oh, he also adds... Um, Total off-topic question, Dave. Would you be interested in uh, doing a commission um, to do a pencil drawing of Christmas cabbage, uh, number one cabbage head, he says. Unfortunately, I don't have time currently to really do anything. Dude, so, it's uh, like there's like three lines. Look, watch. There's not three lines. Watch, watch. Look, I'm not going to churn out a piece of shit like you will. Okay, look. Hold on. No. One no, line? No, no. Okay, that's two lines. Oh, actually, it took four lines. And then I'm going to do the eyes. So that's two more. And then the mouth. Look at that. It's done. Yeah, but that's, that's not a drawing. It looks just like him. It looks like it's been drawn by a three legged epileptic spider. A what? <laughs> there, look at that. Hold on, wait. I signed it. Oh god. Okay. I do think we had another question here and it had to do with blood pressure medications. I know everybody's on this kick now where they all want to take ARBs because somebody said that they should take ARBs. Um could you talk about ACE inhibitors in ARBs uh and what of those we should consider and also if blood pressure is of no issue what might be uh, best of those to use so here's the I'm deal confused. if Here, you've not got an issue for blood pressure why would you want to run an ace or an arb there is somebody who is saying that it's a very good idea to use an arb on cycle what was the justification for that I don't know, Dave. See, I, I always, I know we, we, we go through trends within usage and we go through little fads and almost fashion things. Mm -hmm. 
But if someone's promoting a, a certain protocol, the first thing I'd want them to do is explain to me why. It's not that I don't think they're right. I just want to understand the mechanisms behind why they think that would be beneficial. I'm sure he did. I just didn't listen to that. Oh, right. Okay. You know, well, I'm not saying he just said do it. Then. Yeah, I'm not saying he just said do it, Dave. I'm just saying that I know enough to know uh, that Victor Black had suggested this. I, I can't see a reason. Um, maybe, maybe he's right. Maybe he's wrong. I don't know. I can't see a reason. Yeah. Um, or maybe he's just going to use this to slug me off on his page again. I don't know. Wait, what? <laughs> Someone messaged me the other week said he'd been gobbing off. Um, well, you know, hey, if it helps, uh, if it helps get some new clients. I can't give a shit, mate. We're all entitled to opinion, and, and you know, I disagree with some of the stuff he says. Um, he, he no doubt disagrees with some of the things I say. So it, it's just the nature of this, isn't it? Yeah, a lot of people, a lot of people disagree with other people. Yeah, a lot of people. Hmm. I disagree with you on a lot of things, Dave. Do you? They do. Like what? Well, I can think of a lot of things. Number one, a Mini Cooper can be for a boy. No, it can't. It's a girl's car. Let me ask you this. A Gen 1, an original, yes, that's a boy's minute. A BMW 1 is a girl's minute. Let me ask you this. What if somebody had a bag of two testy, one Primo, one injectable D-ball, uh, a couple trend? And some D-ball, or excuse me, and some DECA. Would that be classed as personal use? No, Scott, because it's illegal for you to have those drugs. And so you are a criminal and therefore should be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. That was a theoretical question, Dave. Yes, that's why you just counted them. I was just joking. I made that up. <laughs> that's all we got, guys. Retract! Retract! <laughs> that's all we got, guys. We're going to leave you with... Uh, we're going to leave you with this, Jeff King. Isn't it good that isn't it? That someone asked, did he ever turn pro? I, I remember him, but I don't know if he ever did. Did somebody ask if he turned pro on the on the questions? Yeah, it came up in the questions. Um, oh. So you can see the questions again. Yeah, hang on. Hang also, on. Matt wants that. Yeah, Jeff Baker. Jeff never turned pro, did he? Yeah. Jeff Baker. No, Jeff King didn't turn pro, huh? With that neck, he should have. Let's see. Let's look it up Jesus. real quick. Oh, shit. No, I got to go. Guys. It's time to go, Dave. It oh, is okay. time for me to leave. I have a uh, an appointment right now. Guys, we appreciate you watching the show. Uh, like This is a laid-back episode, obviously. We're happy we could even get it out. Uh, Dave, I appreciate your patience with me before the program, getting everything uh, set up and ready to go. Uh, also, check out, as you can read that beautiful sign that Dave put together behind him, you see the whole thing today. Crossland's dot org dot uk uh yeah reach out to him go over to eval as well uh you get some blood work done if you're over there in the united kingdom or one of those countries that's all basically the same place kidding 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 guys kidding we do appreciate you watching uh we appreciate all the comments you guys give us uh you can check out our awesome sponsor true nutrition if you'd like to support the programming use our code think you guys are some of the best listeners there are in bodybuilding podcasting dave they've been going nuts man they've been they've been having a lot of fun 
on the, the comments, and we appreciate that, guys. Dave? So now I also Scott appreciate has to you. go for his sexual disease clinic meeting, so um, we'll find out if he's got the clap next week or not. Actually, it's, uh, oh, yeah, I got to go. I'm getting my call now. I'll talk to you guys later. <laughs> I'll keep you posted on what it is, Dave. <laughs>